0: We had our scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 65 this morning. If you'd like to turn there again, that's where I'll be coming from. I believe this is where I'm actually going to close the book of Isaiah. I know that um, sounds crazy. We made it through Isaiah, and I don't know how long it's been. I don't even think it's been quite a year yet, but we, uh, we made it through it. Um, so um, I'm, I'm excited to be able to, uh, to move to whatever God sees next. I'm going to take probably the next... Um, three or four weeks to teach on fasting Um, with the season of Lent coming up. No, we're not Catholic, but I do believe it is a good opportunity for us to uh, prepare for celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'd like to take a few weeks to just teach on the spiritual discipline of fasting. And um, I really believe that one of the reasons why Christians are so weak in our society today uh, is because, one of the reasons, now not the only reason, but one of the reasons we're so weak is because we don't understand the spiritual discipline of fasting and, and what it actually um, is designed to do in our lives. And so I'm going to spend a few weeks teaching on that. So if, you, um, if your flesh is crying out, I don't want to hear that, I don't want to do that, that's all the more reason for you to come. Because <clears throat> my flesh cries out when I start talking about fasting too. Uh, but it is, that's evidence to me that it is definitely a, a godly spiritual discipline or my flesh wouldn't hate it so bad. <clears throat> so uh, today, let's uh, finish up Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 65. And if you've um, you got one of our handouts, I always do an outline for you. There's one up here on the front. You're welcome to walk up and grab one they're in the back on the um, uh, little podium out there in the back as well. Or you can pull it up on our Facebook page, Wells Baptist Church Facebook page. It's the only time I'll give you permission to be on Facebook during the church service. But if you are looking up the outline, you have my permission for that. And uh, we are going to be talking today about servants and rebels. Servants and rebels. You know, um, the Grammys were a big topic of conversation this week, were they not? And... um, And you know, I'm going to tell you something, it it was um, basically a a devil-worshipping fest, is basically what it was, absolutely. But, I'm also going to be honest with you and tell you that, what the world does in following Satan don't really surprise me. I, um, I, I, I hate that we have reached such a pinnacle, of following the course of this world at which follows the prince of the power of the air, according to Ephesians chapter 2. I hate that we have reached such a pinnacle in that, that we don't even try to hide it anymore, but we put it on TV and and actually put Satan up there and literally worship him. But at the same time, the Bible has always told us that the world follows the prince of the power of the air. We are all born in ultimate rebellion against the Creator who made us. He made us for His own glory, for His own praise. And yet, instead of us living for His glory and His praise, we come from the womb crying out, Give me what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to give you a fit. Right? From the womb we come out selfish, only wanting what we want. And ultimately, we need the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our life and literally give us new hearts and new minds to follow Him and not the things of this world. So it don't surprise me when I look at the world and I see them worshiping Satan. But what does surprise me is when I look at the world and I see so-called Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ following the world, wanting to be one with the world, wanting to uh, let the world be friends with them. And I don't know if you know what the Bible says about that, but it's very clear, if you want to be friends with the world, that makes you an enemy of God. Period. Now I'm not telling you to go out and bash sinners. I'm telling you to go out and preach the gospel to them. I'm telling you to go out and stand on the truth of God's Word. I'm not telling you to go out and hate. I'm not telling you to go out and fight. I'm telling you to stand for the truth of God's Word. To walk in the narrow path. Not the wide path. The wide path leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to everlasting life. And so today in this passage, what you're going to see is that Isaiah closes out his book by making an absolute difference between the so-called children of God, the ones that actually prayed to Him, that called Him their father, the ones that worshipped Him, these guys went to church on a regular basis. And God steps in through Isaiah and says, I've stretched My hands out to you all day the long, and you were a rebellious and contrary people. And then He shows them what His true servants look like. So it is my prayer today that before we get done with this, that each and every one of us would be able to examine our hearts as Christians and that we would be able to repent if we need to repent. Because that's what Isaiah has is given this prophecy for, is so that these so-called children of God who are not actually His children, that they can actually come to be His children that the ones that are following the course of this world and are not standing for God, that they would be able to repent and turn away from their sins and follow Him. And I'm hoping today that we'll be able to make a clear distinction between the true servants of God, the true children of God, and the rebels, the ones that are still anti-God, but claim the name of God. So I want to give you a little context if you have your hand out. Basically, In Isaiah 64, verse 10 through 11, we see the context of this is that the holy cities have become a wilderness. The house of God is burned with fire. The people of God have been carried away into captivity in Babylon just like God said would happen if they continued in their sin. And you can go back and read Isaiah chapter 1 and see that. He started this book trying to teach the people of God that if you don't turn away from your sin and you don't come back... I don't care how much you call yourselves children of God. Children of God are people that actually follow God. They're actually people that walk with God. They make mistakes. They sin, yes. But they're not people that are more concerned about trying to be friends with the world than they are about following Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, imagine this group. They're sitting here, and again, like I said, The holy cities have been burned down. Jerusalem, everything around them, it is is completely a devastation to the point that, look what it says, your holy cities have become a wilderness. So they're praying to God. Lord, look around. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. And then they say, Zion has become a wilderness, the great city of God. And Jerusalem is a desolation. And then look at verse 11 in this. Our holy and beautiful house Where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. So, you see where their sin has brought them to as a nation? Their sin as a nation has brought them to God has destroyed this thing, and now they are sitting in captivity, in slavery, in Babylon. All right? And now in Isaiah 65, verse 6, God tells them, I'm not going to be silent because they accuse God of just being silent and not doing anything. And if you ever prayed to God and had something going on in your life and just felt like God's not listening? And God tells this group of people specifically that it's not that I'm actually not listening. The fact of the matter is there's coming a day where I will not keep silent, but I'm going to repay. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. The prayer they pray is to God, and they say, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So again, everything's been burned and destroyed. They're sitting in captivity in Babylon, and they're the children of God. And they say, God, where are you at? I wish and I'm praying that you would come down from the heavens and that you would rend it. You know what he means there? Split it open and come down here, that the mountains might quake at your presence. So they want God to come deliver them in mighty power like He has of old. And you could keep reading 64 to see that. But look at 64 verse 12 to see the finishing of this prayer. Notice what they say. Will you restrain yourself at these things? So again, I'm building the context. Y'all stay with me because we'll get to the message in a minute. The people of God, so-called children of God, they're now in darkness because of their sin. They say, God, where are you? Why are you so silent? We want you to come down or we want you to deliver us. Why are you restraining yourself at these things? Can't you see what's going on? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? And you remember how he answers that in Isaiah 65? I'm not going to keep silent. No, there's coming a day that i got something to say, but you ain't going to like what it is. And so, whenever we look at this, we see this prayer to these so-called children of God and they are praying to their so-called father and he want to know why they haven't delivered him. Look at Isaiah 63, verse 15 and 19. I want to show you why I'm skipping over 62, 63 and 64. This is all a prayer, is all this is. That's the reason why I'm putting it all together. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. Do you see where their heart is? And then notice what he says next. For you are what? What does that say about their mindset? As far as they're concerned, they're the children of God, right? These are people that walk day by day saying... I am a Christian. I am a child of God. I follow God. God is my Father. And I just want to warn you this morning and let you know that just because you say God is your Father, that does not make God your Father. What makes God your Father is whenever you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you become a child of God as you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the truth of it. So... You are our father, God, even though Abraham don't know us. He's so far back. And Israel does not acknowledge us because here we are in Babylon and we've been in captivity because of all this happened. But even still, you, O Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Now go to verse 17 for me. O Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Now I want you to notice there that in a sense there, who did they just blame for where they are? All right, now go with me to verse 18. Your holy people held possession for a little while, but our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. And then in verse 19, we have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. And now go with me back to Isaiah 64, verse 8 through 12, and I want you to see their claim to God. In Isaiah 64, verse 8 through 12, they're going to claim that God is just not listening to them. They say, but now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of Your hand. And is that true? That's true. They are the work of His hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not our iniquity forever. So they're taking some responsibility. Behold, please look, we are all your people. And look at verse 10. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. So, in other words, look at this, God. Why don't you see this? Why can't you see where we are in our life? We're your children, and here we are. This is what's going on. Are y'all, everybody got the context with me now, right? So, in Isaiah chapter 65, God answers their prayer. Remember what they're asking God? Look around you. Why can't you see what's going on? Look at, the, look at your holy city. Look at your temple burned with fire. That's going to be important if you go and read Isaiah 66 because God looks at him and says, I don't care nothing about no stupid building. What I care about is your heart. And you read that in Isaiah 66. But now they say, God, why are you being silent? Where are you? We're your children and you're doing nothing. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and not stay silent, but you would come down in might and that you would save us. And then God answers them in Isaiah chapter 65 as to why He hasn't answered and where He's at in all of this. So in Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1, He answers the question that that they pose in verse 1 I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me in other words I have been coming to y'all since the beginning of Isaiah since Abraham since Moses I have held my hands out I have sent prophet after prophet to give you my word and you have not listened to me So I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. In other words, I'm stepping away from Israel for a while. And I'm going to turn my attention to the world of people that you as Israel were supposed to be the witness to the world of. You remember what God told Abraham when He called him? He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you, all the nations of the world will what? Will be blessed. In other words, the whole point of God calling Israel was that as God blessed Israel, through Israel, the whole world would come to know God. But instead, Israel took on the mindset of we are the people of God and you are not. We're the in, you're the out. And they failed in the role that God had blessed them to do. And so now God steps in after prophesying to them prophet after prophet after prophet, and they don't listen, and he says, here's why I'm restraining myself. Here's why I have not come down and delivered you yet. It's because I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. And I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Now that's important. Because God tells them in earlier chapters that I called you, I called you, I have called to you, but you did not answer. And we're going to see that in Isaiah 65 again as well. I called to you, but you didn't answer. So I was ready to call to a nation that was not called by my name, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to answer. And this is the reason why I'm restraining myself. Now go with me to verse 2. And we're going to get to the first part of our outline. We're going to look at the rebels. I want to see who they truly, truly are, because they say God's their Father. They say that, that they are the children of God, and that He ought to come down and save them. But look what He says to them. I spread out my hands all day to what kind of people? Here's the problem. You call yourself by my name, but you're not my children. That's the reason why Paul says in Romans, not everybody that's called Israel is actually Israel. But the ones that have the same faith that Abraham have are the ones that are Israel. That's what what Paul says. And the point being is this, just because you are ethically, uh, or uh, am I saying that right, I think I'm saying that right, you are a Jew or you are of Israel, it does not mean that you belong and that you are actually a child of God. That's important for us to apply today, right? And so he says here, I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. And notice the first way of the rebel. Here's the way we know that they are not really the children of God. Because as God was spreading out His hands to them, saying, here I am, here I am, here's my word, here's my command, walk in it, follow me. Instead, they choose to do what? They walk in a way that is not good. They know the standard of God. God has revealed what His desire is for them. They know, we, it's like us today, we come in here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Wednesday small group after small group, and we learn about the things of Jesus. And yet if all you do is learn about those things and you walk out of here and you continue day after day to walk in a way that is not good, are you a disciple of Jesus? Not likely. Either that or you're so far backslidden that you need to turn around and repent and come back home, right? And so he says here the first thing about rebels and the way that you're going to know whether or not you're truly a child of mine is... Do you walk in a way that is actually good? Do you choose to try to do the things that God delights in? And he says here that one of the things that they do next is they follow their own devices. Or some versions say they follow their own imaginations. And so whatever it is that their heart desires, whatever it is that their mind desires, that's what they follow. And when you think about it for a minute, is that not what many of the world does today that call themselves Christians. They take the name of Christ, yet they walk in their own way, yet they follow their own heart, and they will tell you today that the most important thing about being a godly person is that you be happy. Because God is concerned about your happiness more than He is about anything else. Is that true? And yet, that's what we have today. That's the reason why you've got so many churches today that are LGBTQ plus minus apostrophe or whatever else. They add to it every day, right? And again, I'm not trying to bash nobody. Let me tell you something. There was a time in my life when I was sexually immoral. Can I get anybody in here to say amen to that? So I'm not trying to bash somebody because they're sexually immoral. I'm trying to call them to repentance. But I'm not going to be okay with you proclaiming, especially as a church, that we should just go along with everything in this world and follow our own hearts and our own minds because I'm telling you, that's what rebels do. That's not what the servants of God do. And if you're going to call yourself a child of God and yet walk in a way that is not good and follow your own heart and your own imagination, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it is the truth. You are lost. You are lost. And you need to be saved. So a rebel walks in a way that's not good and it follows the desires and the imaginations of their own heart. Look what else a rebel does in verse 3 through 5. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 3. They are a people who provoke me to my face continually. The word provoke means to move someone to anger. So in other words, everything they do is not something they do to please God, to glorify God, yet the life they live is a life that does not look to God, that does not choose the things that please Him, and instead they provoke Him to His face continually. And then we get into what specifically this group of people were doing to do it. But this may not apply to you, this part. But I'm going to tell you the part that does apply to you. You can choose to walk in a way that's not godly and not good, right? You know, last night, confession time. Anybody here a priest? Confession time. Last night... Um, I knew that, um, that Nathan wasn't going to be here this morning, and Nathan normally takes care of all of my outlines and things, and so I, um, I knew I had to get all that done myself. And so I got my outline typed up, and I got it all printed off, but the problem was I was at work. And I printed off 85 copies of my outline. And on the way out the door, I had just studied this lesson, And on the way out of the door, I was going over in my head how it applied to me. And the thing that kept coming to me was that a servant of God is always trying to choose what is good. Always trying to choose what will be pleasing to God. And here I am walking out with 85 sheets of paper that belongs to who? (laughs) So then I stop, literally. I stop at the door and I think, what am I doing? And I stop, and I know, you know, to some people that may seem like a small thing. Do you think it's necessarily a small thing to God? No, No, because it's something that does not please Him. So I don't care if it's small or not. It's something that does not please Him. And so I stop because I really wanted to apply this to my life. How can I make sure that I'm choosing what is pleasing to Him? And so I stop and I say, okay, well, I'm going to have to just throw these away. And then I start going back in and I stop and I say, but if I throw them away, I'm just wasting them. So then I stop and I take them and I sit there for a minute and I said, Lord, Lord, what, how can I make this right? Because I thought about Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man. The wee little man was he. Zacchaeus, whenever he came to faith in Christ and he was a tax collector, he looked at Jesus and he said, anything that I have taken wrongly from anybody, I give back. I think it was fourfold if I remember right. Uh, whatever it was. And anyway, uh, anyway, it wasn't something he had to do to be forgiven, but it is something his heart wanted to do because he wanted to write uh, things that he knew was wrong. And so I thought to myself, well, you know what I'll do is I'm going to go and I'm going to buy a pack of paper for the city and I'm going to bring a pack of paper back. And and I'm going to make sure I do that because I shouldn't have stole to begin with, but I can at least go back and I can make this right. Maybe my boss won't see this and fire me. But the point is that a servant of God should have on their heart a daily walk that in your jobs, in your homes, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a child, how you treat your parents. Y'all teenagers, look at me this morning. Whenever you make decisions in your life and how you talk to your parents and the decisions you make and what you do, can you look at your heart and say, "Is this something that would be pleasing to God? Am I honoring my father and mother the way that God would be pleased with?" Or husbands, are you raising your or are you raising your wives? Are you? <laughs> Some of you need to. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> but are you raising, or are you uh, being the kind of husband that is pleasing? to God. I know it's difficult. All right, I'm a husband too. All right, it's hard. I'm just kidding, baby. But she's still stuck on the paper. You come on, get off the paper. I've been forgiven and cleansed, washed away. All right. (coughs) But no matter what area of life you play, a servant of God has a heart that they want to look to it's, again, we're not working for our salvation. You understand that, right? I'm not saying that we're working to be saved. I'm saying that a person that their heart has been changed to be a disciple of Jesus, shouldn't that person want to be pleasing to God? Shouldn't that person want to make decisions that, that would be pleasing to God? And yet, we're still in our flesh, right? We still fight with it. But that's the battle that I'm talking about. I should be able to humble myself before God and be able to confess my sins and then be able to get up and make good choices. But a rebel is not concerned about that. A rebel just goes his daily way and he may call himself a Christian and yet he continues to choose his own path, follow the own imaginations of his heart and his mind and walk in a way that is not good and as he does this, he provides provokes God to His face. And then notice what He says down in verse... uh, Let's just keep reading in verse 3. The way they did it, they were sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. And all these things were stuff that He commanded against in His law. And yet here they were still in Babylon in captivity. Now you would think they've learned their lesson, right? And yet they're still doing the same things in captivity. And so God looks at him and says, You provoke me to my face daily. You're like a kid that I keep whipping over and over to try to correct you, and you never get it right. I've done disciplined you a hundred times, pleaded with you, sent prophets to you. Uh, I've done everything that, that 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 I know to do to help my child. And now. Here you are, still doing the same thing over and over again. And then in verse four, they sit in tombs, they spend the night in secret places, they eat pig's flesh, a broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. And notice what happens in verse five. And here's what they say Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for why? I'm too holy for you. They they really believe they're right with God. They really believe that they're Christians. They really believe that, they, that they're walking the path that Jesus would have them walk. And then notice, here's the response of God. So now we get to God's response right here. He says in verse 5, <clears throat> He says, let me get back to it, these, these are a smoke in my nostrils. What does smoke do to your nostrils? Just an irritation, right? This is a smoke in my nostrils. A fire that does what? Burns all day long. Here's God's response. These kind of people are irritating to God. Like smoke in His nostrils that burns all day long. Now listen, if I'm preaching to you this morning, the good news is, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. God gives you this Word for the very purpose of drawing you back. So I'm not trying to press you down in the dirt and give you no hope. I'm trying to tell you that we need to examine ourselves and we need to repent if indeed this is, what, this is how it applies to us. And so God's response is that I am irritated all day long. We have a, a metaphorical picture here of smoke in his nostrils, but the point being is that this is such an irritation to God, it's like you if you were standing over a fire uh, with smoke just going in your nostrils that burned all day long and it never stopped. And it eventually chokes you to death, right? This is a metaphorical picture to show you the way that God feels about it. And then another response that God has, He says, I'm not going to keep silent. Look with me, keep reading with me in verse... um, Actually, go down with me to verse... Verse 12. He said, I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you didn't what? You didn't answer. Remember how he started this. I was ready to call out to a people that was not called by my name. I called to you, and you didn't answer. And then when I spoke, and you know how he spoke to them? He sent prophets. He sent preachers. They kept coming to him. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 1 all the way up to this point. And he said, I spoke to you over and over again, but you did not listen, and look what they did instead. You did what was evil in my eyes, and you chose what I did not delight in. Here is the first difference between rebels and servants. Rebels will not walk in a way that's good, They will not follow the ways of God, but instead they walk in the imaginations of their own heart and say that God is okay with this and that God is happy with me no matter how I live. And I'm telling you the reason why this message is so important because is that not the way our Christian is today? This is the way the majority of Christians, especially in our Western culture, this is the way they live. And there is a problem with this because the truth is they're actually rebels. Now let's take a look at what the servants' ways will be. Well, look at me in verse, uh, verse 8. He says, Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, Do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servants' sake. So he's talking about he was talking about the rebels, now he's talking about his servants, right? The true people of God. And here's the picture that he gives. You've got this vine dresser, this vineyard owner. And he goes out and he looks and he finds this vine that basically is fruitless, but yet there is one cluster of grapes there. And the vineyard owner is tempted to say, cut the whole vine down. But somebody steps over and says, don't destroy it. Don't destroy it because there's new wine that can be found in that little cluster of grapes. And so he says here, don't destroy it because there's a blessing in that vine. And so the point is that this, we've got this group that's in Babylon, and as far as God's concerned, He just wiped the whole thing out. But he says, I want to show this picture. There's a cluster here because there's always a remnant, right? There's always a remnant of godly people. And he said, there's a cluster here. And there is some new wine that's going to come from that cluster. And so I'm not going to destroy it because there's a blessing in it. This is what I'm going to do for my servants' sake and do not destroy them all. So here's what we see in that. The first thing we see about servants is they're mixed in with the rebels, right? Jesus said that the wheat and the tares grow together, right? And it's not my responsibility to, pick the, to try to pick the tares out. My responsibility is let them grow together. And when God comes, he'll separate them out. But here he says very plainly that the rebels and the servants are in this same vineyard, but half of it is, or over half of it is not fruitful. But there is a little cluster that's fruitful. And I'm not going to destroy it because of that cluster. So I've got a remnant that I'm going to save out of this. That's the first thing. They're mixed up with the rebels, but they are people that are not acting like the rebels. Look with me at verse 10 and 11. He says here, Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Acre a place for hers to lie down. For my people who what? Who have sought me. There's the next thing you see about servants of God. Servants of God are people that they're not just coming to church on Sunday morning. How many people do you think got up and just came to church this morning because they felt guilty if they didn't? Or they got up and, and they said, well, mama or Granny's going to call me to want to know if I went to church this morning and I'm going to have to say yay or nay and so I don't want to lie. Or they just went to church this morning just because it's just what we do. But they're not actually here this morning to seek the Lord. They're not actually here this morning to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? God, what do you want to teach me? God... How can I learn from you this morning so that I can walk and choose the path that you would have me to walk in? The difference in servants is they're not aimlessly going to church. These people were aimlessly going to worship and still doing all the, all the things that the law required. But God didn't care about none of that. What He cared about was people that actually sought Him with their whole heart. And that is a servant of God. That's a true child of God. Keep going with me in verse... Um, In verse 11. But you, notice the difference he makes here. So you see where I get the difference between rebels and servants? He talks about rebels and what they do. Then he talks about servants and what they do. And then he's going to get and he's going to show you the difference between the two and the rewards and the curses that are coming their way. So now we're going back to the rebels in verse 11. But you who forsake the Lord, So instead of following the Lord like the servants do, the rebels, on the other hand, turn away from God. They're not trying to follow the Word of God. They're not trying to learn from God. They're not trying to seek God. They're not trying to walk in a way that's good and choose things that the Lord delights in. Instead, they're actually turning away from God, but while they do it, do you notice what they were saying in Isaiah 63 and 64? Lord, You are our Father. Are y'all seeing that this morning? Lord, you are our Father. And God's answer, He comes back. No, I'm not. You're rebels. That's what you are. But I do have servants. A few of them in here. And I'm going to save this remnant that's here because of the servants that I have. Keep reading with me in verse um, 11. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, and this was just talking about they forgot uh, about worshiping Him on His holy mountain, and instead they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping, we're going to see who they are here in a minute. Keep reading with me. Who set a table for fortune. Now if you have a King James Version, it says the Gad. And basically, the gad is a word that it, they believe it stood for the planet Jupiter. And it, was, it, it actually translates from the Hebrew as greater fortune. And so this was a name of a, uh, a pagan deity. And so they forget about the worship of God, and instead they set their worship on this God that's called fortune. In other words, they look to Him for their good luck, is what it is. And how many of you know that as Christians, we don't have luck? We don't have luck. There is no such thing as luck for a Christian. There's no such thing as luck, period. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. God said not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from what? Apart from His will. ain't no such thing as luck. But He says here that these people were forgetting how to worship God and instead they were looking to other things for their fortune they filled cups of mixed wine for destiny again the King James Version reads different but again it's another pagan deity um, that that they worshipped in this and basically this pagan deity if I remember right I wrote it down somewhere I can't remember exactly I think that's just talking about their future is what it was talking about if I remember but notice the play on words God used for them in verse 12 I will do what? I will destine you. <laughs> You're looking to all these false gods for your destiny? You know, I even feel guilty cracking open a fortune cookie in the, um, in the Chinese restaurant. And I won't do it anymore. I'll open the cookie and I'll take the paper and throw it to the side. Not because I actually believe anything that's written on that thing, because I want to make it very clear That I don't look to nothing else for my fortune. I don't look to nothing else for my destiny except God alone. I ain't going down there to 2nd Street to the Three of Cups to be finding out what my future holds. And if you are, I'm just telling you, that is not a way of God, that is not referencing uh, uh, who He is in your life, and you need to repent from that. And so he says, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. And here's why. Because when I called, you did not answer. So there's the rebel. I called, and what does a rebel do? A rebel don't answer. And when I spoke, you didn't listen. Here's another rebel. When when the preacher's preaching, you ain't listening. (laughs) When the prophet is prophesying, you ain't listening. Nothing's changing in your life. And then he says, But instead you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. So you see how he makes such a drastic difference between servants and rebels? And the truth of the matter is is the, the, the rebels are the ones that say they're the children of God, but they don't follow God. The servants are the ones that they're doing their best to follow God. They're just trusting God and they're just waiting on God. And then next I want to move to the rebels' wrath. Look with me in verse 13. Thus says the Lord God Behold, my servants shall what? Shall eat, but you shall be hungry. So notice all the difference he makes here difference in servants and rebels. Servants are going to eat, rebels are going to be hungry. Servants are going to drink, rebels are going to be thirsty. Servants are going to rejoice, rebels are going to be put to shame. Servants are going to sing for gladness of heart, but you are going to cry out for pain of heart, and you shall wail for breaking of spirit. So here's the point that he's making. There's only two options. Heaven or hell. That's it. Ain't no other place. Only the born-again servants of God are actually going to eat, drink, rejoice, sing, be glad of heart, enjoy this new creation that He has from coming. And the rebels, on the other hand, are going to be just the opposite. And these are all pictures that we have here. They are going to be hungry. They're going to be thirsty. They are going to um, cry out for pain. And these are the same things and the same images that Jesus used to describe hell. He would say it was the place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. As a matter of fact, if you look at Isaiah chapter 66 verse 24, 25. 24. Look what it says. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have what? Rebelled against me, for their what? Their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is what Jesus was referring to, was what Isaiah prophesied about the curse of the rebels, the wrath of God. And here's what that means. In this day and time, they had an old garbage dump in in Jerusalem. And so there would be a, a dump that was always burning. And matter of fact, in Roman times... They would have bodies of the uh, criminals that they threw over into this garbage dump that was always burning. And when Jesus was teaching them about hell, one of the things He pointed to was He was talking about this garbage, this garbage dump and He looks at them and He says, it's the place where the worm never dies. Now here's the picture that He's given. You have these bodies that are in there, and I know this is sick and disgusting, but maggots are eating them alive. They're, they're, they're eating this body up. There's coming a day at that point that Jesus is talking about when that body in its form will finally be done with and the worm will die and it won't suffer anymore. That body. The point about hell and the rebels is that in this place, the worm will never die. It will be like being eaten alive by worms and it never quits. And the fire is never quenched. It will be like being burned alive constantly, yet the fire will never stop. He uses images of outer darkness. He says, it's the, 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 he says the wicked ones are cast into outer darkness. In other words, it's like darkness that, that we've never known before. It's darkness and then there's darkness. You can't see nothing in front of you. You, you. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Burned alive, always burning, but fitted with a body that will never quit dying. Just like in eternal life, you are fitted with a body that never dies. In eternal death, you are fitted with a body as well that will never die. The worm will never die. The fire will never be quenched. And this is where the rebels of God will spend an eternity. You say, well, that don't sound fair. You need to understand something. You have offended a holy God. You know what would have happened in medieval days if you insulted a king? Now listen, if in the olden days, if I was an old farmer, and you came and you insulted me, me and you may fight, right? But if you insult the king, what's going to happen to you? They're going to cut your head off. You know why? Because the greater the authority, the higher the offense You have offended an infinite being and your offense is an infinite offense. You know how long it takes you to pay for an infinite offense? It will be justified. But the good news is this. It is escapable. And that's the reason why the prophet gives this message today. It is escapable. I'm pleading with the church today. I watched a movie last night. I don't watch movies very often, but was one on that's my favorite. Hacksaw Ridge. If you've never watched it, go watch it. Hacksaw Ridge. It's about this um, Seventh-day Adventist, this Christian, and his heart truly was to follow the Lord. He's in World War II, and he gets up on top of this ridge, and they're trying to hold this ridge against the Japanese, and basically they get overtaken, and they get defeated on top of this ridge. All of them make it down, but there are so many that are wounded up there. And this seven-day Adventist, he, he, he so believes in the law of God that he will not kill. He will not kill. He won't even carry a gun. All he wants to do is save lives. And he stands over there and he feels defeated and he's standing at the edge. He says, God, I can't hear you. I don't know what you want me to do. And all of a sudden he starts hearing injured soldiers crying. He says, I hear you, God. And he gets up and he starts saving these soldiers. And he goes and he drags them back and he gets them to the edge. And he's fight. he's saving so many people that his hands are... And it's a true story, by the way. His hands are so bloodied up. His, his legs just can't go anymore. His life, has, he's been shot at so many times. And yet he's still going to save. It. And every time he gets to the end, he lays down and he says, Lord, just get, let me get one more. Lord, just let me get one more. And every time I see that movie, I just start crying. I think that's that's my heart as a preacher. I'm standing here on this edge and I'm watching people that are so-called Christians and yet the truth of the matter is I wonder if they're actually rebels. I wonder if they're actually rebels. And I'm standing up here this morning and I'm preaching and I'm preaching and the reason I'm preaching is because I'm crying out to God and my my cry to Him is, God, let's just get one more. God, before you come back, let's just get one more. Because I don't want anyone to experience the kind of torment that you say is coming to the ones that are rebels against you. So Lord, my prayer is, can we just get one more? And you know, in that story, you go back and watch it, and you know what happened every time he prayed, Lord, let me get one more? There was another cry. He'd go back and he'd get one more. And I don't remember how many men this guy saved. He received, he received medals of bravery, and I mean it was a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, true story in the movie. He was sending rebels down there too, That's right. He was even sending Japanese down there. That's exactly right. He was saving them too. But the point is this, we live in a culture today that it is so easy for someone to just say they're a Christian. <sighs> to say I'm forgiven, to say that, that I follow God. And yet the truth of it is, if they will examine their life, God is showing them, you do not walk in my way. You do not follow me. You do not choose what I delight in. And the truth of the matter is, you are a rebel against me. But the good news is this. God saves rebels like you. You want to know how I know? Because He saved me. He saved me. Am I telling you that I get it right all the time? (laughs) Not even close. I walked out last night stealing paper from the city. Your pastor did. All right? Dip wide. That's right. Dip wide. No, I don't always get it right. But the good news is this. I know I'm saved. You know how I know I'm saved? Because I have a heart that wants to follow God. I have a heart that whenever I do something like that, the Holy Spirit stops and says, Hey, hey. And I'm thankful that I wouldn't have thought about that if it wouldn't have been for the Word He'd been showing me just that night that I was studying. But He spoke. And when He spoke, you know what the servant did? The servant listened. When He called, you know what the servant did? The servant answered. And that is the only thing that separates this servant from rebels. And so today, I want you to understand, is the day that the Lord, I believe, would say, examine yourself. And our prayer is, Lord, let us get one more. If today is the day that you want to confess your sin and you want to trust in the Lord as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation, is what the Bible says. You don't have to know what to say. You don't have to know what to pray. All you have to do is you come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. But I know I need Jesus. I know I need to be saved. And if that's you, I will gladly sit down with you right after this and we'll go through these scriptures and we will show you exactly what the Word of God says. But that's between you and God. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are rebels and there are servants. You examine yourself and you see which one you are today.